Gretna. It's Pastor Rob. Great to see you today. Before we get started into the sermon, I want to encourage you, if you have a smartphone or a smart device, to download our app. It has uh, sermon notes. It has small group questions based out of the sermon. You can also go back and either listen to or watch our sermons. Uh, there's also some incredible tools to help you pursue God, to grow in your faith. There's also our prayer wall, which is a place where you can update us on, on prayers you need or or get updates on some of the things that have are going on within our body of believers and, and get to hear how God is working in miraculous ways. You can get there through our website. Would love to have you join us and get all the information we hope you need to grow in Jesus Christ. So on to the sermon. We are in the third week of our series called Neighborhood Watch, where we are renewing our commitment to Jesus Christ through loving our neighbors. It's really a fundamental part of what it means to follow him. Jesus makes that clear to us in what he calls the greatest commandments or what we would call the greatest commandments. The love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just like it to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We also last week looked at some of the, the things that can get in the way of us loving our neighbors. Maybe maybe latent prejudices or just excuses and, and oftentimes just fears that get in the way of us showing the compassion for others, our neighbors, that God has shown us. This week we're going to join the journey of the Apostle Peter, a follower of Jesus Christ from the very, very beginnings. We're going to pick up his story in Acts chapter 10. And, and the truth is, Peter, a passionate, powerful follower of Jesus Christ, who's had his up and down moments, his kind of roller coaster ride, where he has actually denied Jesus at one point, and only to be forgiven and reinstated by the Lord himself. Peter, who definitely is a guy that speaks his mind and says what he wants to say, wears his heart on a sleeve, sometimes even if it's not the right thing to say. But even Peter in this story is re reluctantly following God's call to revolutionize the way he thinks about others and even the way he practices his faith. In this story, we're going to meet three people today. We're going to meet a Roman soldier named Cornelius who does not yet know the Lord. He's what would be called a, a God-fearer, somebody who knows who God is but is not Jewish is not historically one of God's people and, and probably doesn't have a direct connection with him. We're also going to talk about Peter and see how he reacts to God's call upon him in this scene. And also, we're going to pay very close attention to what God is calling him to. So if you would, if you jump in with me, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. We're going to meet Cornelius and talk about him a little bit. And then we're going to jump into verses 9 through 16 to talk about Peter and see how he reacts differently to what God calls. If you would, I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. I'm going to put it up on your screen. You can grab one for yourself. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. It says this, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision. 
saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have, have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke with him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cornelius, as I said, is a centurion. He's a Roman soldier. He probably has about 600 men under his command. Uh, Luke, Luke, which, by the way, is the author of Acts, goes out of his way to describe Cornelius as a good man, a man who has a, a connection to God, a God-fearer in some ways. And, and Cornelius' response here to God calling him, which is what I hope it would be if God just showed up in a vision like that, right? If he just, boom, hello, I'm here, right? What do you do, right? Stand in awe. And Cornelius' response is, yep. Lord, what do you need? I'm going to do it. And so he puts together this team of people and says, doesn't even ask why. Why, God, are you doing this? Doesn't need to understand. And I have to think it's because he's a soldier and he's used to following orders, right? But he just says, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And he sends off these people. But in the next section, we're going to meet Peter. And again, Peter is is different. He's in a different place with God. He's known God for far longer, right? As I said, he's been through ups and downs. He's directly connected and been charged by Jesus Christ to feed his sheep, to care for his people and grow the flock. He has a job, a mission that God has given him. And he is saved, right? He has taken Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Let's look at how Peter responds to somebody showing up, or God, an angel of the Lord, showing up in his life to talk to him. We'll pick up in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. It says, The next day, as they were traveling, that would be Cornelius' soldiers and servants, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof at about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. As we meet Peter, this person connected with God, it seems that Peter just wants to have lunch. It's noon, he's hungry, he just wants to have lunch. That seems simple enough. It's probably part of his regular daily routine. He does this every day about this time, just as most of us do. But God has a different plan. 
and Peter falls into a trance. Now, at first glance, I would think to myself, you know, I usually fall into that trance. I call it food coma after I eat rather than before I eat. But that's not what's going on here. He's he's not taking a nap. He's not daydreaming. Peter is fully conscious and fully aware of what's going on around him. It's like God has grabbed him by his cheeks and put a hand on either side and says, no, you're going to look at me and I, we are going to talk. We are going to connect. We are going to communicate. That's the kind of trance he is in. Everything else is still going on, but he has no choice but to focus on what God is saying to him. And Peter sees this large sheet Some theologians have said it's like a sail coming down, a sail with which they are to travel to the four corners of the earth. That's what the four corners of the sheet are. But the big challenge for Peter, and the reason he says, no, Lord, no, is the animals. He says they're impure and unclean are the two words that are used to describe these animals. The the first one, that idea of impure is, is, is consistent I think, with an understanding of anybody who is not Jewish or any animal that is not set apart specifically for the people of God. If we were to look back at the, at the Old Testament in the, the book of Leviticus, there's a repeated discussion um, about what peop- the people of God are allowed to eat or not eat, and they're called clean or unclean animals. And that concept of clean or unclean essentially means if you are clean, whether it's about animals or your practices or your, your, your uh, sacrifices, whatever that might mean, clean means you are in a good place with God and you are able to approach the priest or to approach God in prayer because you are honoring him in what you do. And if you are unclean, you are not able to. And for a Jew, the, the, the process of becoming unclean is about really violating God's expectations. It's about not practicing the ritual cleanliness that is required. It is about not doing the things he is calling you to do. And in this case, it's about not eating the foods he has said it's okay to eat. But it's also a term that would be used to describe really anyone who is not Jewish, who does not have that connection to God by birth. They would be considered unclean, unworthy of approaching God or connecting with God in, a, in the same way that he does. Now, again, we talked about God fears, the notion that you could follow God to some extent, but unless you were willing to make the decision to, if you were a male, be circumcised, and essentially we would call it convert, right? Convert to Judaism. You could not have the same connection with God that Peter and other Jews could. But Peter is concerned that God is asking him to do something that will destroy his relationship with him. God is asking him to step across a bound that he would have never, ever, ever considered stepping across because of what it would have meant. He's, no, Lord, no, you can't, you cannot be serious. How could you ever possibly ask me to do this thing? I'm not comfortable with this. This isn't part of my ritual. This isn't part of our routines. This isn't the way that I understand you. This, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. And Peter is so incredulous with this that he has the same discussion, this back and forth with God three times. No, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Yes, you are. Don't call what I call clean impure. Don't do that. 
no, Lord, you don't seem to understand what you're asking me to do. (laughs) And God's saying, actually, I do. It's you who don't seem to understand. And I think that highlights something that is the reason Peter is having this difficulty. And, And it's because the Lord is asking Peter to do something that we all struggle with, and that is to be obedient without first understanding. That's to to see that God is calling upon him something and wants him to do something. And, and, And truthfully, Peter's understanding of it isn't necessarily required. And certainly his approval isn't required. But God doesn't let that hold back his plans for Peter because he's got other things to engage in. If we go back to the text and we read verses 17 through 20, check this out. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked direction to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. With no doubts at all, right? While Peter is still unsettled, while Peter is still confused, while Peter is still not feeling good about this, God continues to move forward with the plan. He doesn't push the pause button and say to Peter, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait till you're ready, right? He says, no, we have stuff to do. I have a mission for you to be on. We are starting Yes, a revolution that's changing the entire way, fundamentally changes the world. I have a mission. You have a mission. Your understanding isn't necessarily required, and that rubs him the wrong way. But that idea without any doubts at all or with no doubts at all, other translations say without hesitation. You know, when the Lord is moving in a way that In this case, Peter doesn't understand, but sometimes when he moves in a way that we don't understand, that I don't understand, or in some cases approve of because it kind of rubs me the wrong way or or it challenges me in a way I'm not ready yet to be challenged in, we have a tendency to hesitate. We have a tendency to doubt, and we have a tendency sometimes to just flat bulk and kind of do what Peter's saying and say, no, Lord, I'm not doing this. And and I think that highlights what can commonly get in our way when we are trying to follow God or when God is calling us to something. And that's, that is when something feels uncomfortable to us or we are not feeling like we are yet ready for it. We have a tendency to shy away from it and sometimes convince ourselves that God could not be possibly asking this of us. I have a friend who just posted on Facebook a few weeks ago, something along the lines of, I can't remember the post exactly, but it said, um, God doesn't look at your resume before he calls you to work, right? He calls you to do stuff that he wants you to do for the mission that he is on, regardless of whether or not you think you're well-equipped. He prepares you and calls you for a reason. 
In this case, Peter is being called to shake up the entire way he looks at the world. He is called, being called to shake up the patterns that he understands, the routines that he understands. He's call, being called to look outside of himself and to see the greater picture that God has in store and to, instead of acting like Peter by hesitating and balking, to act more like Cornelius who just says, yes, God, I will do what you're asking me to do without ever really understanding what it's going to look like when it's all said and done. That's really, really hard for us to break out of our routines of worship, to break out of our routines of life and our life rhythms, to break out of our present understanding and the way we do things. Yeah, we can, we can definitely tie that to the church. I think the, the notion of, of changes in, in church structure or changes in worship style or songs or worship order cause angst and difficulty and challenges for people. Yeah, but, but there's, there's so much more to this than just that because that, that is really, while it is a key part of our lives, it's really just a very small part of what should be our spiritual lives. If we look at, at, the, at our routines of life in general, I, I think we have a tendency to, to see our faith as um, a component of that life or um, um, a job within our life rhythms rather than the disposition or the driver of our life rhythms. We are, we are called to step outside of ourselves, step outside of our routines, and sometimes actually quite often, to step out on faith before we understand where God is, has us going. And no, it doesn't always feel like God's showing up in a, when putting you in a trance or, or in a vision or, or, or whatever. There aren't bright shining lights and you fall on your face. But, but I think it's pretty clear that through God's word, through the scriptures, he often shakes our tree, Right? He often seeks to challenge us to, to break our routines, to break our rhythms, to join him in this, this revolutionary way of looking at the world. And we are reluctant to join, not because we haven't heard the message, but because we don't understand where it's headed. And so we balk, we hesitate, we have doubts. The truth though, is that, that if we are willing to disrupt the rhythm of our lives, that we have settled into, and that's exactly what it is, it's settled into. And I know this because whenever my life rhythm is a hot mess, whenever things go crazy, maybe the weather's going nuts and I can't go where I wanna go or need to go, or, or there's a cat living in my garage that's not my cat, so I can't <laughs> do anything out there, I get frustrated, but at, at the end of the day, I'm frustrated because my rhythm is broken. My routine is broken. My expectations are disrupted. Uh, and can I just tell you, just as P Peter is experiencing here and Cornelius is experiencing here, it's not my expectations that God is concerned about. It's his expectations and whether or not we are living into them. And so what kind of life rhythms, what kind of dispositions do we, do we need to change in, in light of this, in light of understanding that God is always going to call us to be obedient 
even without understanding, that he's going to call us outside what we're comfortable with, even without understanding. The first is, is this. You know, we have a rhythm of life around our community as a body of believers, right? We have a, a rhythm to our intentional community, or in some ways, I think, a lack of intentional community where our rhythm is we show up on Sundays, we talk to one another, we laugh with one another, we get to know one another. And then we say, okay, I'll see you next week. When the truth is, and if we were to go back further into the book of Acts, into the very beginning when God established the church, there's, there's nothing that would indicate that this was just about that weekly rhythm. In fact, their rhythm included meeting daily. Their rhythm including challenging each other daily. Their rhythm included watching the God multiply the church every day. Their world was constantly, constantly changing and growing and developing. And, and, and there was this sense of interdependence, this sense of community. And that's an interdependence that we kind of shy away from. We like to always stand on our own two feet. And we've built a routine, a life rhythm that is we see each other on Sundays and then honestly, we kind of go do our own things. All of our kids go to different schools. We work in different jobs in different, not just different parts of the county, but sometimes different parts of the state. We really don't see each other that much or talk to each other that much. And, and we kind of self-isolate. And this is, forget COVID. We were doing this before COVID. This just makes it more obvious that we were creating our own little worlds that aren't interdependent of one another. And, and that's not what we're called to be. That's not the rhythm we are called to have. We are called to have a rhythm that doesn't reflect the, what the rest of the world is doing. It's called to reflect what God desires, what God wants to happen. That means learning to lean into one another. That means asking each other for help, which we are often reticent to do. That means recognizing that there are things that I cannot do that I really need somebody else to do and me putting down my pride long enough to call and say, you know what, you do this better than me. Could you come help me out? I'll help you out in some other way, right? It's, it's setting aside time and, so that we can be there to pray for one another, to call one another, to check on one another, to run by each other's house and knock on the door and drop off some flowers. We are called to have an intentionally different rhythm to our lives, a different pattern. And sometimes that means calling us out of what we're already comfortable with or what we already understand. In the context of our series on, on neighboring, on being a better neighbor and loving our neighbors, I think the concept of intentional neighboring is something that we need to learn to do a better job of leaning into because if we're really frank, just the structure again of our world that keeps us separately, moving separately in different spheres of our lives throughout the week also keeps us that way with our neighbors, those that literally work next door or live next door to us, right? All the above. 
if if you watched <laughs> Leave It to Beaver in the fifties and sixties, right? There's this idea that everybody gets home every day at five o'clock, and they're all kind of all standing outside at their mailboxes on the cul-de-sac, waving at each other and saying hi and catching up. That doesn't happen. We know that doesn't happen, right? That was a little crazy to begin with. Probably never really happened that way, but we definitely could say it doesn't happen that way now. Where we are all working different schedules and doing different things. We rarely see one another. If we're working, we keep our heads down. If it's at work, we keep our heads down. We move in. We get things done. We're pleasant with people. And as much as we need to be or have to be, yes, we have some tertiary friendships, but do we have intentional, life-changing, transformative, revolutionary friendships where we are willing to break the mold a little bit, where we are willing to lean into what God is calling us to rather than the pattern we've decided we are comfortable with or what the rest of the world is demonstrating. And that even includes one another. You know, I, I think what could easily get missed here, and if we can, were to continue reading into chapter 11, Peter has to go to other Jewish Christians, other Messianic Jews who know the Lord, and Peter has to explain to them because they are disapproving of the notion that God could be calling somebody else, could be calling the Gentiles to join them in following Christ. Peter has to go defend that to those who should be his friends. You know, peer pressure is a very real thing. We have a tendency, even within the body of Christ, to say, I'm not going to step out on a limb because uh, other Christians might look at me weird. I'm not going to clap in church because, or raise my hands because I'm made uncomfortable or I may make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, I may not radically start calling people in the church and, and showing up at their house and reminding them that I love them and offering to do things for them and asking them to do things for me because I'm afraid of how they might see it or see me or think I'm crazy or I'm a, you know, I'm, I've lost my mind. In some respects, following Christ, following Christ as, as he desires, requires us to lose our minds a little bit. It requires us to set aside our need to understand everything before it happens. It requires us to set aside our pride. It requires us to look past those things that would keep us from being who he desires us to be and instead lean into them. And sometimes people within the body of Christ can be the biggest obstacle for us. Again, Jesus is calling his people to be revolutionary. He's calling them to be different than anything else they see in the world around them. And quite frankly, if we're going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and as Luke would say in his version, all of our strength, then we have to be willing to be looked at funny. We have to be willing to go against the grain. We have to be willing to love powerfully, mercifully, and in ways that the rest of the world just can't even begin to wrap their heads around. And that requires first looking past ourselves, looking past our comfort levels, and that requires being obedient even if we don't understand where he has us headed because 
we have to know that wherever that is, it's better than where we are right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.